All right, let's go to God in prayer. Dear God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the many blessings you give us, and we thank you for the uh, freedom and the opportunity we have to come and study your word, to worship you, to praise you, Lord, and, and learn more about you that we can take out into the world. Lord, I just ask that you be with us as we continue through this class. Help it to be something that we can apply and, and learn from and help us in our, in our studies and, and, and learning more about the Bible, Lord. I ask you to be with all those who are sick and need our prayers. We just thank you for everything you do for us. And it's in Christ that we pray. Amen. All right, we're still on the Bible. And this is going to be the, the last week on this one. I thought about going deeper and deeper into this one, but I, I think really for this one and one for me not to bore you all to death, um, it, it's to kind of do more of an overview than a, than a real deep dive into it. Because a lot of it's really... Honestly, it is very, very, it gets into kind of just very technical type stuff. So my, my goal here is to, especially when we talk about studying the Bible a little bit, is to give you a little bit of information that you can run with and, and, and actually uh, go with here. So we, I'm going to go back up a little bit because I had to rush the last like five or ten minutes of class last week. And so I, don't wanna, I didn't want to do that and just stay with that. So I'm going to actually kind of back up a couple slides from, from where we were and, and go back over those. And I'm going to start, so just for a review of last week, we, we kind of went through how the Bible came about, the different authors, uh, the different facts around the Bible. Uh, the fact that one of the interesting ones is that it is the most purchased book every single year in the world, but it's also the most stolen book every single year in the world. So that is kind of interesting. But then we looked at how it came to be. You know, we started mostly, it started in, in three different languages. Hebrews, Aramaic, and then Greek, and then you know most of that was written on scrolls. So each each scroll was was created, and then passed along and duplicated, and then eventually they started going into what we call codex, which is basically a big book that uh, that they would write all this information in. Some most of it was made out of animal skin, yeah, you know, usually lamb or deer, uh, sheep, anything that they could they had an abundance of at the time, and then. Um, yeah, we looked at the different Greek versions and then how the New King James came about, the earlier versions before the King James, and, and the two people that were, um, was Tyndale and, my mind just went blank on the other one, I'm sorry, but how Tyndale himself was actually killed uh, for, or was executed for translating the Bible into English. He was considered a heretic. And so we see how then that developed into where King James and, and his uh, the group there that they they created the King James version of the Bible, and then really once the King James, there really wasn't a lot of variations in Bible versions up until about the eight to late 1800s. Uh, there were different versions of the King James that came out and some changes, but for the most part, there was about a 300-year period where that we had very little change in, in the Bible. But what's been interesting since that, the, the definitely the 1600s when the King James version was um, first released, I think it was 1611. From then on to this point, we've made a lot of archaeologically archaeological discoveries. We have learned a whole lot more about the English language, one from, I'm sorry, the Greek language, one from just the Greek writings of the, of the Bible, but also from Greek texts, Greek documents that we found, and, and different things like that to help us understand the Greek a whole lot better. So where, where we're at now, um, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, we had the, 
the American Standard and the Revised Standard that came about. And then uh, we had the, um, man, my mind just completely went blank, the Dead Sea Scrolls that were, were discovered, and there was a ton of uh, Old Testament Hebrew documentation that was found in that. And what was interesting about that is most of the documentation that was found, um, the, old, the Dead Sea Scrolls was very old stuff. Uh, some of it documented all the way back to, to B.C., to very shortly after A.D., and there was a thousand-year difference between some of the documents in the Dead Sea Scrolls and what they had, some of the newer stuff that we had. And in that thousand years, there was only a 5% difference in the, in the two translations, in the two versions. And almost all of those were either misspellings or the way the word was done, uh, the words were done a little bit different, stuff like that. Nothing significant in the way that those were, were translated. So that brings us into the 1970s. And I know I've kind of gone over this a little bit, but I wanted to, to repeat a little bit of it. Uh, we have the New American Standard Bible. Now, this was translated in 1971, or released in 1971. They spent about 10 years, I believe it was, uh, working on this translation. And it was, it was translated from the original Hebrew and Greek text. But what was interesting about this one, too, is they went back and they used the, the most recent discoveries of some of the text here that were some of the oldest versions of the Greek and Hebrew Bible. And to this day, the New American Standard is considered the most accurate word-for-word translation of the Bible. If you look at the, the way that it's translated, and, and, and the reason for that is because, again, the, the development in over the three or 400 years in language and how that language works and learning how the Greek language works and all that. So from then, then in 1978, we had the New International Version. And this was kind of a, a, a different version. And this was kind of a, what they were trying to do here was do a balance between the word for word. So your King James Versions, your, your, your New American Standard, stuff like that, your, your, those are word for word translations. And the NIV is more of a, what they call thought for thought, which is they try to take the entire thought of what's being said and, and, and translate that. Anyone in here familiar with, like, very fluent in Spanish or, or any other language? Anyone here took Spanish class, right? Okay. If you were to take Spanish and translate it word for word into English, would it sound pretty weird, right? And, and so it's the same thing with, yeah, house blue, right? <laughs> you know? And so a lot of their stuff is, is backwards from how we would, would describe it, right? We would say the house is blue, but if we translated it from Spanish, it would be house blue, right? You know, or in some of the other things, um, what, was it habla, no espanol, so I no speak English, right? And so it, w- it wouldn't flow right. And so that was some of the, the problems they were having, especially one with the King James, you know, in 1970s and even today. Anyone in here really, I know there's a lot of people who grew up on the King James and studied it. I can't. But if you're familiar with the King James, you can, you know, if you grew up on it, you can probably read it. But if you've never read the King James Version from its original and you sat down to read it, you're going to struggle to understand. I, 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 to this day, I, it's hard for me even to do that. And so the, the thought around the NIV was to, hey, let's bring an easier-to-read version of a Bible that, that kind of merges the word-for-word and the thought-for-thought. And that's what the New International Version was. It took 10 years and over 100 scholars to write the NIV or to, to convert and translate the NIV. Then, 
1982, the King James, uh, the, I forget the name of the group that, that's around the King James Version of the Bible, they decided, look, you know, we, we need to come up with an easier read version of the, of the King James. And so what they did is they come up with a new King James Version, which brought in some of our newer um, English language, how we, more how we speak, got rid of a lot of the, the these and the thys and the thous to help it flow a little bit better. The one thing that the King James Version did, which I, I, I haven't had a chance to research the history of why they did this, but they used the same source as the King James Version. Right? They didn't go back and try to use any of the, the older manuscripts that had been, when I say older, the, the new manuscripts that are old that they had found in the last several hundred years. They just went straight from what the original King James Version was translated from. And so, um, and but they just used kind of the, the 20th century English there. So I, I feel that that was kind of a miss on their part. I think that if they could have, we know there's newer, newer documentation. We, they probably should have used it, but I understand of trying to stay true to the, the King James. And so then in 1996, we had the New Living Translation that, that came around. And there's several others out there. I've, I've tried to focus on the ones that are primarily used today and, and seem to be the, the, I must say more accurate, but the ones that are, that are most commonly seen as, as accurate, reliable translations of the Bible. And so you had the New, um, the new Living Translation. Now, whenever they had started this, they originally were going to basically try to make a, a better, more accurate version of the, the Living Bible. Anyone in here familiar with the Living Bible? I know, I know a couple of people are. So the Living Bible is what's called a paraphrase. Um, if you're familiar with the message, uh, I think some of you have probably heard of the, the message translation, that is a paraphrase of the Bible. So basically, it's more of a storytelling of the Bible. It's not something that, you know, it's good to use if you're wanting to, to read the Bible as like a story type thing, but it's not something you want to use for, for deep biblical study, for, for you know, true accuracy of, of the actual Bible. So they, they started that with the New Living Translation, and, and they decided after partway through it that that's, that couldn't be done, so they went back and actually um, created just what they call the New Living Translation, um, and they, they did go back to the most current, you know, Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic text that are the most accurate up to this point for that translation. Go ahead. No, it is not a paraphrase. It is a, this, was, this is a, a thought for thought similar to the NIV, but one thing they do, do, they do, and I'm going to show a little bit of this, is they try to, they try to, they, they try to do the word for word, but also the thought for thought, and then make it easy to read. So it was almost a, a, a combination. Um, here, I'll read this. It said, the method combined an attempt to translate the original text simply and literally with a dynamic equivalence approach, which is the word for word, and then used the con that to convey the thoughts behind the text where a literal translation may have been difficult to understand or misleading to some, some viewers, or for some readers, I'm sorry. And, and some thoughts around that, some examples around that is the, the, the verse that says you must you know, hate your brother in order to follow Christ, right? And so some of the things that they've done with that stuff, if you read that, it was like, well, that doesn't make sense. I have to hate someone. Well, we know, we know by study that that means love less. But, and so they, they do that thing. And I will give you an example of like around Peter here in a minute. So, and as most of y'all probably have figured out and seen, 
I, I use the New Living Translation for most of my, my teaching. And, and the reason that I do that is because it is a very simple, very easy version to read. It kind of breaks down things to, to its basics. And the part of the reason why I do that is because my ultimate goal when I teach, when, when, I, when I preach, when I do anything, is to reach the person in the room who has no biblical experience whatsoever. So if I were to come up and read from like the King James or the New King James, that's harder for, for some people to understand sometimes. And so what I do is when I teach is I use the New Living Translation, and unless I find a version that, is, that I feel is more accurate or, or does a better uh, job of explanation on that. And we'll talk about that in the Bible study of, you know, one of the things when I teach and when I study, I actually look at about three or four different versions at the same time while, while I'm studying. That way I get a, a, you can get a true understanding and idea of the message and, and the accuracy of what's trying to be um, conveyed there. And right now, uh, the New Living Translation is actually the third most used translation in the world. I believe the NIV and King James kind of swap back and forth for first and second, and then uh, the New Living Translation is, is third. So here's an example of, of the difference between the New Living Translation and like the New American Standard. If you look here in Matthew 16, 18, in the New Living Translation, it says, Now I say to you that you are Peter... And they put in parentheses, which means rock. Because you know, it's, it's important to understand that, that Peter's name means rock, or, 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 or Petros was the, the actual Greek word. It says, upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Now it goes in, if you read 17 and then 19, and then you read the footnotes, and, you know, they put this in there for, for t to emphasize that. You know, if you hear most people preach or, uh, on this, this subject, they will let you know that Peter, his name meant rock. And so they, they kind of include some of that information in it. So if you look at the New American Standard, it says, I also say to you that you are Peter upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower. So similar, they just, basically the flow is a little bit different, and they include some things in there. Uh, John 3.16 is another example I'll show you here in the New Living Translation. It says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. And then the New American Standard says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So a little bit of the uh, difference in the wording, but again, nothing that uh, would take away or add to uh, the Bible in any sense. So any questions, comments, thoughts before I transition into the next subject? Okay. Several preachers that are using the uh, the English uh, Bible and saying that it's more of a accurate. The, the English Standard Version is a, is a new translation, and there are some that say that it's very similar to the New American Standard. And I, if I'm not mistaken, I think it may be an offshoot of the New American Standard. It's either an offshoot of the New American Standard or the Revised Standard Version, which all of those kind of have their same roots. Uh, in that, I had a chart, and I don't have it up here. I believe you had the New American Standard, and then the English Standard was, those two were probably your most two accurate word-for-word -word translations. So, and that, that, is a, that is another good one. Again, they tried to use a similar approach of word-for-word, -word, but make it easier. But they, they stuck more to the word-for-word translation side of it, but still use more modern English um, 
type translation. And that's the thing that, that a lot of people have, I think, struggle with sometimes is the English language is always evolving. It's always changing. I mean, all languages really are. And so, you know, what, what was spoken in English in the 1600s is a whole lot different than what's spoken in English um, today. You know, if you were to take someone who spoke what they call the Queen's English in the 13 and 1400s and brought them here and tried to talk to them, you most of them wouldn't be able to understand what they were actually saying. Even though they were using English words, it would sound really odd. But probably like what most people experience when northerners come down south. But, <laughs> you know, it, it's just that different. It changes over, over the years. So that's part of the purpose for the, the change in, in versions as well. Because as the language develops and change, then, then so do some of our translations. They need to, to change as well. As long as we're not changing the meaning of what's in the Bible, you know, and, and, and theology and things like that, you know, taken away from it, then, then that's a good thing to happen. And that's what's been continuing uh, over the last hundred years. We're actually going to, that's our next subject. We're going to go into that. But yeah, you're, you're true. So any more questions or comments on that? All right, so false te teachings around this. One of, and this is honestly part of the reasons why I'm, I'm actually doing this class, because several weeks ago, um, it may have been a month or so ago, there was some stuff that was being passed around talking about how the King James Version of the Bible was the only true version of the Bible, and that all the other modern translations, I mean, some of them even went to talking about how the modern translations are from hell and from Satan himself and, and, and all these things. So that was part of the reason why I wanted to, to do this class because I wanted, and I had some conversations on the side about it with a lot of people, and then once we had the conversation, it was like, oh, well, that makes a lot more sense. And so I'm going to co um, cover some of that. So the first one is what, what they call the King James Version only movement. Right? And there are people who believe that the King James Version, because it's got the title authorized in it, means that it is the only authorized version, English version, that we should be using. And this, the reason it's called authorized is because the king at the time authorized it to be translated. And so that is the only thing there. But, the, but some, a lot of this is brought into the fact, too, that people believe that it is the actual inspired English version of the Bible meaning that God himself inspired King James and the writers of King, the King James Version to, to be inspired through him to write that version of the Bible. Well, unfortunately, that's not true. Um, the main reason the King James Version was written was it's kind of a, you know, I'm going to do what I want to the Catholic Church. <laughs> you know, and so there's some other things behind it. And we talked about that last week. There was, when they wrote the King James, there were certain things that, the king has said had to be, couldn't be talked about or couldn't be put in there. And there was other things that some of the bishops who were helping write that at the time, you know, said that, you know, we can't use these words. You know, I, I talked about church. The, the term church had to be left in there. You know, Tyndale and, and others translated that word congregation because it meant group of people. But he wanted the word church to be left in there because that, at that time church had a more focus on the building and, and the, the physical side than it did the spiritual side. And there were some, if you understood the time, the kingships and the, 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 the whole hierarchy at the time, that, you know, they were trying to keep people from overthrowing their, 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 their governments and their, their things like that so they could stay in power. So with all that happening, it still didn't take away from the legitimacy of the Bible. And that's what's awesome about 
the, the one thing, if you look, the, what's really awesome about the, the translation of the Bible, even though it's been translated so many times and copied so many times and, and had influences, outside influences from people for, for some of their own, I say own gain or something like that, the Bible still has stayed true to itself the entire time over several thousand years. You know, if you, if you look at the Bible from the original Greek that they have found that, that dates to the two and 300 A.D. to now, there's very little difference in what they found. We talked about that last week, right, that almost 90-some percent of the differences are, are spelling errors or the way that they spelled a name. You know, one, John's name had in some versions had two Vs and the others had, had one V, things like that. There's nothing in the Bible that you can find in one version that contra- contradicts another version's translation. It all works together. And then the fact that the Bible itself, if you take all the prophecies in the old, I mean, you, you start, you're talking about a several thousand, five to six thousand uh, a year time period, and the things written in the old come true in the new, and you've got stuff that's written several thousand years apart, and, the, and they completely mesh together. And so, you, I mean, if you were to take... 66 authors and tell them they need to write a book and it's going to be, you know, separate them into a room. Not a single one of them can know what the other one's writing and then, or all be separated by thousands or hundreds of years and have a a readable book that makes sense and meshes completely together. You know, what are the chances of that happening? Zilch. (laughs) I think there was a, someone did a mathematical equation. It It was impossible, right? And so, but back to this. Uh, one of the big things that the, the King James Version only group, and, and I don't want the, this to come off as the King James Version's inaccurate or, or people shouldn't use the King James Version. To me, it's whatever you're comfortable reading, right? If you, if you grew up in the King James and that makes sense to you and, and you're more comfortable with the King James, then study the King James Bible. You know, if you're more comfortable with someone like me, I like the New American Standard for most of my reading and, and most of the stuff that I do. Other people like the NIV. There's nothing wrong with any of that. Where, where it gets wrong is when you start saying, well, your version of the Bible is, is wrong, and you shouldn't be using it, and stuff like that. Go ahead. And, and you're, it, just, it just, just kind of describes it or retranslates it or something. So, I mean, the New King James does kind of it does. say and, the same, same thing. And it depends on the type of Bible. So, like, if you have a study Bible, uh, and I don't know if that's what you have, but, um, like, study Bibles, they'll have commentary. You'll have, half your Bible will be the Bible, and then the other half is, is commentary or, or notes uh, about certain things, that you know, historical stuff, things like that. And they'll do that too as well, kind of give information and insight. And so that's a very good thing to have as well. But yeah, a lot of them do talk about what other, well, well the New American Standard translates this word this way. And, and so it lets you know a little bit of the, 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 the differences between the two. Um, so to that, one of the things that the, 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 they're really big on is that the newer versions remove verses from the Bible. That is true. And then when a lot of people see this, this is where they this is where they kind of 
start to, I mean, you know, if I, can, if I put something out there and say, man, the NIV, the New American said all these new versions, they're taking versions, they're taking verses out of the Bible, then immediately, our, okay, well, there, there's something there, right? And so, but if you actually start to look into this a little bit, there's a reason why they, they remove verses out of the Bible. And the reason they do is because things like when the King James and other versions that were written three or 400 years ago, they didn't have the most current, or mo, no, most current, I say, examples of the Greek test, text that we had. So, for example, and I talked about this last week, we have found whole Greek manuscripts that are two, like 200 to 300 A.D., that were found within, after 1600. And these manuscripts that they found, the originals didn't have a lot of these verses in them. And I, I don't have a whole list of the verses, but I'm going to give you an example of one. Matthew 18, 11. If I go to the New Living Translation, this verse is not in there. But there is a footnote that lets you know why that verse is not in there. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Now, we know that that is true, but if you look at the most current, the most oldest manuscripts, this verse was not in there. So if you look at the later ones, it was added in. And a lot of times there was, there was notes that on, in, if you look at the Greek writings and the people who copied it, it will put, they'll, put, they'll have notes in the margins that say originally this version, this verse was not in the original manuscript. It does, the New King James, right? Yeah. So, um, and that's why some people even, the, the King James Version movement doesn't even like the New King James because it, it does stuff like that. But there's a reason, this, that's the reason why they have done this because, you know, what's awesome, and I think there's probably, I, I meant to get the number and I forgot to, I want to say there's probably like 40 to, around 30 to 40 verses in the newer versions that are omitted. Or if they're there, they're put in brackets or parentheses and said, and there's a notation on that. Go ahead. <laughs> you're fine. You're fine. Steve, Steve read my notes for this week. <laughs> no, no, you're fine. But, but exactly, Steve's right. So if you look at Mark 6, and this is the one I probably struggle with more than anyone of, of, of the omissions. Mark 16, verses 9 through 20, your earliest manuscripts did not have this section of the Bible in it. But if you look at 99% of most Greek manuscripts, it's in there. So they had, a, they had a tough decision to make on, well, do we leave this in or do we take this out? And so there was a lot of research that, that went into it. And one of the reasons why they left it in actually has nothing to do with biblical text. It actually, uh, there's, a, there's a book written on Gnosticism in 180 A.D., and in that book, he actually quotes sections of Mark 16, 9 through 20. And so they said, since most of the Greek manuscripts do have this in there, and, there, and we can't see where, anywhere where that changed, right? We don't know why the, the oldest manuscripts don't have it in there, but we know almost all the new, 99% of the ones after that do have it in there. And then we have a guy who, in 180 AD, who wrote a book 
uh, on Gnosticism, quoted scriptures from that, then that was earlier than the newest manuscripts that we had, or the oldest manuscripts we had. So it's like, since he quoted from it, then more than likely that was in there, and it's just those two, for some reason it was omitted. Wouldn't you like to be the ones who study and research and decide what goes into all this? It's a, it's a very deep um, study. So there are, and, and that's, that's the longest section. And even then, even if you took Mark 16, 9 through 20 out, it doesn't change any of the theology. The, the biggest one that we would probably have a problem with is go and baptize people, right? But even then, if you took that section out, there's still plenty of verses in the Bible that talk about going and baptizing people. So that's not like we can, we, it's not like you would lose any theology or anything out of that, that section if you were to take it out. So that's why most Bible versions, or almost all Bible versions, I think now, mark that as not being in the oldest manuscripts. And what's really interesting is that's actually been noted since the year 900. A monk who was copying the text wrote in his, in his margins in the year 900 that there were some manuscripts that did not have this verse in it. Or those section of verses. All right, so the last one, and I put the wrong name here. I didn't mean to. But is the the Tyndale and Zondervan conspiracy? I, I forget. It's, uh, someone else bought it out, but I, I put the wrong name there. I apologize for that. But the biggest one's around Zondervan, and the the conspiracy is that the publishers of that publish most of the, the Bibles is that they're Satanists and that they are using the, the, new, the NIV and, and these new translations to spread an evil doctrine, all right? Well, we, we know that that's not the case. And, and, and the reason they claim this is because Zondervan is a book publishing company, right? They have a biblical wing that they publish under, but they publish thousands of books. I don't know if in a year, but they, they have published and, and will continue to publish thousands of books, all right? Well, one of the books that they publish is about Satanism. And so the theory then became that, well, since they actually publish a book on Satanism, then they're Satanists and they're, they're trying to change the Bible, and that's why they, where the NIV come from, and they were influ influential in changing the NIV to say things and, and stuff like that. And it kind of goes down a whole conspiracy rabbit hole. That part is true, right? Not the conspiracy side, but the fact that they, they publish different types of books is true, right? There's people, there's, there's tons of publishing companies that publish books. Why do they publish books? For money, right? And so they're going to publish whatever will allow them to make money. There are actually whole committee, committees and organizations that are over the translations of Bibles. There's an entire organization uh, of several, I think uh, up to 100 people that is over the NIV. There's a, there's a group of people who's over the New American Standard. There's, there's a group of people who are over all these different versions and they very heavily, they use, we talked about it last week, they use scholars. A lot of these scholars have to have doctorates in, in biblical languages to even be part of their translation committee, right, to be, even be part of the, the translation side. And so trust me, if they were translating the Bible and then Zondervan or, or any of these other publishers were going in and changing it to make it say what they wanted to say, there would be huge outcry, right? So they just publish and put in there what that group gives them and so, and, and there's a agreed upon thing. So I wanted to address, just address some of those because that's been some of the, the, the theories and, and different uh, conspiracies and stuff like that. So 
I'm going to go over a couple of Bible verses and then we'll, we'll get into the study of the Word. I, I, these four verses, I think, speak to a lot of what we've been talking about and, and the difference we see. Hebrews 4, 12, and you don't have to move to these if you don't want to, but you can. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desire. Is that not true? Isn't, is God's word, you know, that's, I love that it is alive and powerful. When you think of something that is alive, what is it continually doing? Working, growing, right? You know, there's a lot of things that we can go back and read from, from those same, same, same time periods, and it really doesn't apply to our life today, right? You, you really can't, you know, there is not a time that you don't read the Bible that it applies to your life somehow. It cuts somehow. It, it gets you somehow, right? 2 Timothy 3.16, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. So true. James 1.21. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word of God has been planted in your hearts for has the power to save your souls. There's no other document in this world that we could go to and say that it has the power to save your soul. The Bible is the only thing. It is alive, it is powerful, and it will continue to be so even if it's another thousand years before Jesus comes back. And then lastly, Romans 1.16. For I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and the Gentile. So here, here's my thing. And, and this is one of the things I want, I want, because I think sometimes the devil introduces things to, to, um, to, to get us away from you know, doing his word and, and distract us from the actual things. I think things like that, the... the, the excuse me, the conspiracies and all that kind of stuff is a way to, to, to distract us and keep us from doing what we're supposed to be doing. And so that's why I think Bible study is important. And the, the biggest thing about Bible study, and I recommend this for everyone, if you're studying the Bible, study more than one version at a time. Don't just read from the NIV. Don't just read from the New King James. Don't just read from the King James. You know, most of your, if you use an iPhone or iPad or whatever, have where you parallel modes, where you can actually go in and read parallel. Mo you have Bibles now out there that have their parallel up to, I think some of them, four versions. And, and so there, there's, that's good. And if you don't have that, I mean, get two or three separate copies and, 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 and physically read them. That's very important. And so I'm going to read two verses real quick about the study of the Word. Joshua 1.8, study the Bible of instruction continually, may, meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. Day and night. Daily. 2 Timothy 3, I just read a little bit of this. 14 and set through 17. But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scripture from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, <coughs> excuse me, and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us what to do and right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So not only does it save, but it prepares us if we read it, but we have to read it daily. Right? It, it, if, we, if we're just opening our Bibles 
on, on a monthly or maybe semi-yearly basis, then, then we're not doing what we need to be doing. And so a 2019 study showed that only 32% of churchgoers read their Bible daily. 39% said maybe, and what I would like to know of that 32% who read their daily, but that they die, read their Bible daily, how many of those count Sunday morning when they're in worship, you know, reading the scripture, right? I wonder how many, uh, I, would, I, I didn't dive into it to see how, but, but this was the study that they did. About 39 to 40 says they may do it once a, uh, <coughs> once a week. 16% once a month, and 12% said rarely or never. And these are people who go to buy a church on a regular basis. And then prayer, and I, and I include prayer in here because if you're not praying as you read your Bible, then you definitely need to make sure. I, I recommend, highly recommend that you pray before you even start reading, and that, that prayer is for you to understand and be able to apply what you're reading to your life. But 55% of Christians or those who, who go to church on a regular basis, pray daily. 16% weekly, 6% said monthly, and 23% said rarely. So there, there's something that we definitely need to improve on, Bible reading and things. So ways to study the Bible. There has never been more access to the Bible than we have in the different versions and the different languages of the Bible than what we have today ever and, and it's just going to continue to to get bigger <coughs> you can download an app from your phone in two minutes and have access to almost every single version of the bible that is out there right now and be reading it and, and going through it so but you have the good old reliable print and paper i know a lot of people still like to read have that physical bible i, I do um, with a lot of times when i'm studying a lot of times i don't but I know a lot of people like just having that pen, that paper and print right there in front of them to read. They can make notes, that kind of stuff. The average home in the United States has 4.4 Bibles. I think that's more than TVs now. The second one, and probably the more popular one that's coming up now, is electronically. Anyone know how many times, how many unique devices the Bible app is downloaded to? That's just one of them. The Bible app is the one, but the version Bible app, that's probably the most popular. Any thought on how many different devices it's installed on? Huh? Tablets, uh, it can be iPhones, all that stuff. What'd you say? You're off by 100 million. 438 million devices. As of right now, the YouVersion Bible app is on 438 million devices. So cell phones, iPads, um, those type of devices. So you, those are the ways that you can... What I like about the Bible app is it has Bible study tools in there. And then another thing I like about it is you can add your friends and stuff like that. And, and you can actually buy, study the different things together. right? And it shows what they're studying and, and what you're saying. Now, there's some things theologically probably that we, we have to watch on some of that, but there's, there's some very good just basic biblical study devos and, and things that are in there that you can use to help you guide through different subjects, everything from fear and anxiety to depression to, to marriage. to I mean, there's really, really good stuff there. 
So reading daily, praying daily, but to me, honestly, just, just reading and just going through the Bible like that, it's good, it's a good thing, but I don't think it's good enough. Right? If, if you're reading the Bible, then you need to be studying, not just reading it as if it was a book. You need to study and understand the meaning. And so you need to do a deep study. So to do the deep study, anyone want to say what kind of things you need for a deep study of the Bible? Commentary. Commentary. Dictionaries, concordances. Well, the study notes in the study Bible amplify the yes. information. Yes, and so, and I, and I mentioned that earlier, the, the study Bible, if you, I, I highly recommend if you're getting a physical Bible to get the study Bible. Because, again, it's, it's usually half Bible and then half commentary. And then even some of them go into a lot of historical. So before you even get into the book, a lot of it is, is historical information, you know, the background, why he was writing this, who, he was, who, who the author was writing it to, you know, maps where the cities were. That stuff's important because it gives you a visual and a better understanding of what was going on in that day, in, in that time period. Yeah. yeah. And even during this season, I find the science and biology of it. Yep. Yeah, science and a lot of science, especially like uh, um, not only the science of the time, but also the just the historical, architectural, archaeology stuff, you know, that you can study. But for deep study, I'm going to go through these two real quick, and then, and then we'll close. Um, I recommend two electronic versions for deep study. Now, if you want to buy concordances and you want to buy uh, lexicon, which a lexicon is a, a Greek to English uh, a translator because it gives you definitions, and you want to get commentaries, that's fine, but you're going to, have a, you're going to need a big desk, <laughs> you know, and, and, so, and it's going to be a lot to, to flip through. There's two that I recommend. The first one is called Bible Hub. And, and I'll give you a little bit of an example of what Bible Hub Bible Hub looks similar to this. I hope some of y'all can read that. It's a little dull. I tried to screenshot it from my, my computer. What you can do with Bible Hub is you can put a verse in, and it will give you the breakdown of that verse in English, in Greek, or Hebrew, depending on where you're at. And then it will give you the Strong's, which Strong's is the kind of the standard for, for language uh, of the Greek and Hebrew translation. And then it will give you the origin. And then you can click down into, so for example on this one, the first word for anxious, I don't know how to pronounce it, so I'm not going to try. You know, it goes in, it gives you the concordance. It gives you all the different Bible verses that that same Greek letter is used in. And then it gives you some, some helpful word studies down there. Again, oh, excuse me. Um... Don't try to read all that. You can probably restrain your eyes. But it gives you the information that you need. That is a good one, and I, and I use it some for some of my studies. But the best one, I believe, and this is my personal opinion, and then I'll show you why, is what's called the Blue Letter Bible. And this is a, a digital version. And by the way, you can download the, the Bible Hub and the Blue Letter Bible for your phone or your iPad um, as you study as well. The Blue Letter Bible is really interesting. It's really advanced, and, and for a website, it's, it's really, really neat, and for an app. But, for example, that same verse, and, and the reason I use Philippians 4, 6, it is the most highlighted verse in the Bible, according to all the digital um, things, which is be anxious for nothing, but in everything, prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. All right? So if you can see this, when I, it breaks down the whole verse. I can look at it. It gives me the verse in English at the top, and then it gives me the verse in, in Greek at the bottom, and then it go, uh, broke, cut off a little bit. It gives me, well, I, I study with the New American Standard, 
it gives me all the breakdowns from the English into the Greek. And that you can even play on a speaker, click on that, and it will pronounce the Greek word for you. Even with all that, I still can't pronounce them right. <laughs> but not only that, so you get the Greek and you can dive into the Greek, and you can actually click on the Greek word, and I didn't dive on it. I wish I had a way to pull all this up, and maybe one of these days I'll, I'll do that. You can click on that Greek word, and then it will give you every single Bible verse that that Greek word is in. So if you want to study anxiety and see where the Greek word for anxiety is listed, you can go through and, and look at that on every single one of those. The next tab is Bibles. You can then actually pull up the Bibles, and it will give you every single translation. I, I can only show the first three, but it gives you like 10 or 15 different translations for that verse that you can look at. The next one is cross-referencing. So it takes different subjects that are common in these, so like being careful and thanksgiving, and it lists all the verses around those subjects. And then actually if you scroll down, it actually breaks them out. So it has careful, and then it actually has all the verses, the entire verse under careful out if you scroll all the way down for you. And same thing with thanksgiving and same things with that. So you can really dive deep into just one verse of the Bible and get a deeper understanding with it. Then the last one is commentaries. Now, this is just one screen. You can actually scroll down. There's probably 150 different commentaries on just this one verse that you can pull up, and it pulls up straight to the subject line because some of them may be at a commentary that's 150 pages long, but you can actually go into it, and it'll take you to that section of that commentary and give you the information about that. And then lastly is dictionaries. <coughs> and you can get reference works here gives you all the different dictionaries for this particular verse. So with one verse, you could spend an hour to two hours just studying that one verse in this one, one section right here. And, and that's why, you know, it makes it very easy for deep Bible study to really get a true. And I, and I think sometimes we, we just read the Bible and we, we read over it and we read over it. Now, that's good. We need to read that. But sometimes we need to sit down and we need to do a deep study of the Bible so we can, we can have a better explanation of the things that we're talking about. And if we want to try to talk to people about anxiety or we want to talk about to people about baptism and, and those type of things, this kind of study allows you to dive deep into that and not just go on something because I said it or because Dad said it or someone preaching or teaching said it. You can actually go in and, and do this. I like doing this on the fly. I have the... the the Blue Letter Bible app on my phone, if someone's talking about something or a particular verse, I'll pull that verse up, and I'll look at it, and I'll start looking and making sure, because I want to make sure that what I'm teaching and what others are teaching is accurate around these, these type of verses. So deep Bible study is very important. I'm a, a few minutes over. Any comments, questions, thoughts? I hope that wasn't too boring. I know it's kind of technical and a little bit deep, but, but I think it's good, good stuff to have. All right, next week, we'll, uh, next week I think we're going to start into um, something around the church. I'm not 100% sure on that, but I think it's going to be more around um, continuing on with some of the, the basics of the Bible into some of our basic beliefs and things like that. So thank you.